We're so excited to start our new series today called Free Indeed. Free Indeed. And the heart of this series is to help every believer, every man, woman, and young person discover what God intends for you, and that's to live in a life of victory and freedom in every area of your life. Last week, we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how many know today the tomb is still empty? And you still have access to resurrection power, not just on a, on a Sunday we call Easter and, and enjoy some candy and, we have, and, the, and there's a rabbit that comes and brings a basket to your kids. On, on, on every day of the week, every week of the year, every month of the year, you have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ available to you and not just available to you according to God's word, living in you. Come on, someone ought to be excited about that. It's true. Well, listen, so many of us, fail to really walk in or experience the freedom that Jesus died for us to walk in and live in. Galatians 5 verse 1, the word of God is so clear about God's heart for you and I to watch, walk in spiritual freedom. And it says this, it is for freedom, say freedom, that Christ has set us free. He set you free. Stand firm then, reading on, Galatians 5, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The Bible wouldn't say it, if the Bible didn't realize that it was gonna be a possibility for us to slip in once again to bondage even after the Lord had come and paid, his, paid the price by giving his life to make us free. And that's what this series is all about, helping us to understand how to walk in the freedom, how to walk in the victory of Jesus. Every day, in every area of your life, your health, your marriage, your mind, your heart, your relationships, to walk in the victory and the freedom of Jesus. All right, Luke chapter four. And this is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders of the day, and he's about to quote Isaiah 61, which is the passage that tells the anointing that was going to rest upon the Messiah, who is Jesus, who was going to come someday and deliver, rescue, save his people from their sins, from the kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. And so this is the, he's about to reference this passage. He's about to quote an Old Testament passage and he's, he's sharing that he is the one. In fact, if you go, if you fast forward to verse 21 in this, cha in this chapter that we're about to read, and I read that to you first, it says this, he began by saying to them, today this scripture, which we're about to read together, is fulfilled in your hearing. He put them on notice. What we're about to read, I'm not just reading for historical record. I'm not just reading to inspire or encourage you. I'm reading this and I'm announcing myself as the Christ, the anointed one, sent from the Father to preach the good news and to save and rescue people into a life of freedom, out of a life of bondage. This is what Jesus came to do. Listen, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title. It means anointed one. Jesus' full name was most likely Jesus Bar-Joseph of Nazareth. But Christ is his title because of who he is, and that's what we're about to read of. And Jesus steps on the scene. It says he went to Nazareth, verse 16, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, so he's in his hometown, and on the Sabbath day, which was, which was on Saturday, was the time that they gathered and had church in a building called the synagogue. It says, on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And just a little side note right here, this is the Bible showing us that Jesus was a regular church attender. <laughs> and it says, he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Because he has anointed me 
to proclaim good news. Watch this. This is Jesus saying why he was there, what he had showed up on the scene to accomplish in their lives and ultimately in our lives. To proclaim good news to the poor, to preach the gospel. He has sent me to proclaim freedom. Somebody say freedom. Freedom. For the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. Someone say free. free. Lastly, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll. Remember what he had said before he read it. He said, what I'm about to read is being fulfilled this very day. And it says, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. In other words, this is a Holy Spirit mic drop moment right here. Jesus stands up, reads this prophetic passage about the Christ who would come and what he would do. He hands the scroll and sits down and watch what it says. It says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Can you imagine? They've been waiting, they've been wondering, they've been hoping, they've been thinking. And this man, Jesus, who was the son of a carpenter, steps up and says, what I'm about to read, I'm not just reading to encourage or inspire. I'm reading it to declare and announce, I am he, the one who will be sent, who has been sent to be the Christ, to preach the gospel, to, preach the, to set free the captives, to set free those who are oppressed, to bring spiritual sight to the blind, and to proclaim the year of favor, the provision, the abundance, the goodness of the Lord. He read it, handed it off, and sat down, and everyone's just looking at him like, who is this Jesus? There's four things that are represented there that he said, I'm the Christ, and this is what I'm coming to do in your life, in your life. You need to hear it today. This is what Jesus came to do for you, not the person to your left and your right, in your life. This is what Jesus came to do. One, salvation, preach the good news. Two, blessing and favor and abundance, the year of the Lord's favor, a a, a good God who has good promises, who wants to take care of his people. Uh, Three, he, he came to bring spiritual sight to the blind, faith for a future, vision for a future. And lastly, freedom, to bring freedom to the captives and freedom to those who are oppressed. And would you just take note that it's only one that really is mentioned twice in those, in that scripture. Freedom to the captives, freedom to those who are oppressed. There's more on that, I'll get into it later in the series. So he says, I came to bring salvation. I've come to bring blessing, favor, abundance. I've come to bring fresh faith for your future, hope for your future. And I've come to completely set you free from anything that is or has or will ever try to hold you back or hinder you from being and becoming the man or the woman of God that I created for you to be. Someone ought to say amen. Amen. Listen, Jesus came to do so much more. I'm so thankful. I'm grateful that I'm on my way to heaven because of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful. But I'm gonna tell you, God did so much more. And listen, eternity is so substantial that that, that's, that is an amazing promise that we have eternity to spend with God because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. But listen, we stop short and we cheat ourselves from experiencing oftentimes what God wants to do on this side of eternity in our lives. And Jesus said right there, salvation, freedom, blessing, favor, abundance, and prophetic vision, faith and hope for your future. And the Bible, the New Testament shows us that Jesus came to do more than just get us to heaven. Luke 19, 10 says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. That's good. He came to lead us back into a relationship with him. John 10, 10 talks about this abundant life that Jesus came. And that's literally the, 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 the words that are used here. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, I have come that they, speaking of you and me, may have life and would have life abundantly. The favor, the year of the favor of the Lord. First John 3, 8 says this. Remember, he's, he came, according to Isaiah 61, to set the captives, to set those who are oppressed free. 
And 1 John 3, 8 said, the Son of Man appeared for this purpose. It couldn't be more black and white. To destroy the works of the devil. So which one did Jesus come to do? All of them. All of them. In one work at the cross, one man gave his life and he delivered all those things and more to you and to me. Eternal life, victorious life, abundant life. And listen, in this series, we're going to talk about how to walk in that victorious life. How to walk in the freedom that Jesus is talking about when he said, I've come to set those who are oppressed of the enemy. I've come to, to set those who, who have mindsets of oppression. I've come to set those who have, who have been struggling or in bondage to sin. I've come to set them free. The Greek word for save that we oftentimes read in the New Testament is the Greek word sozo. And we read it and we translate it saved. But if you dig into the original language in the Greek, this is a powerful word that goes way beyond saved. It does mean saved, but the literal translation, if you go and you read it, dig into that word sozo, which we translate again to save, actually means this, to save, to heal, and to deliver. Can you see those three things? Encapsulated in one word that Jesus came to accomplish in your life at the cross. To save, to heal, or to deliver. And the word deliver is a powerful word because it doesn't just mean to rescue you out of a tough spot or a bad situation. It means, in, con in the fullness of the context, it means to deliver from a place of despair to a place of secure, abundant provision. In other words, Jesus didn't just come to just kind of bail you out of a problem. Jesus came to rescue you from that situation and deliver you to a life of abundance, a life of provision, to rescue, to save, to heal, to rescue, to set free out of a place of despair to a place of secure, abundant provision. Jesus sozoed you. That's what he did for you. Come on, someone ought to say amen and thank the Lord right there for what he's done in your life. But here's the thing is, is I, what, what I see and what I understand as a pastor is that there's a lot of people who are on their way to heaven but aren't really walking in the fullness of the victory of the cross on this side of eternity. That's what this series is all about. I mean, come on, will you lean in and will you buckle up and will you allow God to help show you? Listen, we, we, Jesus came and died and gave his life to do so much more than just to make us casual church attenders. We are disciples of Jesus Christ, Christ followers. We are men and women of God, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, who have access to the Word of God, who have been given, Jesus said in red letters, the keys to the kingdom of God. All authority had been given to him. He gave it to you. That's what this series is all about, helping us to understand just a little bit more. How can we walk in the freedom of God, the victory of God, the authority of God in our life? Listen, there is a spiritual battle over your life. There's a spiritual battle over your life. And Ephesians 6 makes it really plain to us. And listen, this is good news because some of you think that you've been fighting against people. And you're gonna see that there's a spiritual battle that when we begin to understand this, when we get a revelation about the reality of this, and when we begin to submit ourselves to what the word of God has to say about this, we begin to apprehend the power, authority, and victory of Jesus to begin to walk in new levels of freedom, victory, and joy in those areas where right now you might have a struggle. So, so this is good news. And, and listen, read, read along with me. Watch what it says, Ephesians chapter six, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Come on, somebody say, be strong, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Take note right there. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your boss. It's not against your wife. It's not against your husband. It's not against a politician or a political party. It says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and catch this, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a spiritual battle over your life. There's a spiritual battle over your marriage. There's a spiritual battle over your family. There's a spiritual battle over your children. And it says it so clearly right here, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, in other words, because of this, because we realize and recognize that this is the truth, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, come on, somebody say stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation which covers your mind and the sword of the Spirit, which is the very Word of God. And lastly, verse 18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. There's a spiritual battle over your life. And it's so clear. And yet we oftentimes get caught up in fighting against people or politicians or we get, we get caught in the fray of all in the natural realm and And we need to realize that God's word says that there's a spiritual battle. Listen, this is good news. I'm encouraging you once again. You're not fighting against your spouse. You're not fighting against your boss. There's a spiritual battle. And listen, when you begin to understand, when you get a revelation of that reality, and we begin to once again dig into God's word, see what he has to say about it, it gives us the opportunity and access to a level of victory that you can never accomplish in the natural realm that you can never accomplish in your own strength, that you can never accomplish by using the weapons of the world because the Bible says that our weapons are not carnal, they're not of the world, they're not flesh and blood, but they are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen. Listen, it says stand against the devil's schemes. And later on it says our battle is against spiritual forces of darkness. And it says to pick up the shield of faith that you might extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Stand firm against the devil's schemes. Here's what is unfortunate. A Barna study, which Barna is a church research group that does a lot of studies about trends in the church and where, what people think and believe and in the church and in our culture. And, and Barna recently did a study and it discovered this, that people who say they are born again Christians of that group of people, 60% of that group said they do not believe in a literal devil but rather that he is a type, a shadow, or a figure, an element of evil. 60% of Christians basically are saying they don't believe the Bible. And here's the thing, the enemy loves it, the devil loves this. Because 60% of people don't even believe that he's real. And listen, if you don't believe that he's real, you'll never stand up and oppose him. He loves this, this is playing right into his hands. And listen, we have to be a people that once again return to the Bible and believe that the Bible means what it says, that there is a spiritual battle over your life. And listen, here's what I understand is that especially as we're digging into this Free Indeed series, that there's a need for both things, discipleship and spiritual deliverance. That there's a need to to grow as a disciple, to discipline our flesh, because how many know some of the issues of our life are brought on because of our fallen sinful nature? 
But then there's another element of battle, of attack, of schemes. We just read about it out there. There are schemes of the devil against your life. That there are spiritual weapons that the Lord has intended for us to discover about in his word that we may begin to grow in our ability to wield those things against the enemy and win spiritual battles in our life. Which do we need? Discipleship or spiritual deliverance? Both. We need both. I love what Jack Hayford says, a mighty old man of God. He said that you cannot disciple a demon and you can't deliver the flesh. You can't disciple a demon, you can't cast out the flesh. We need to be both. We need to be disciplining our flesh. We need to be growing as a disciple. We need to be daily taking up our cross and defeating those things, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and, the, and, the, and all those things that the Bible talks about that are associated with our fallen nature in the flesh. But you need to also recognize that there will be times where there is a spiritual attack that is waged against your heart, your mind, your marriage, your family, your children, or your health. And in that moment, you can't disciple that. You have to understand that you've got to be able to pick up the spiritual weapons that God has intended for you to be aware of and equipped in to fight and win that spiritual battle. That's what this series is all about, helping us understand how to walk in victory and freedom. Just a little bit more understanding about what God's made possible and he's, he's made available to us. And listen, in this series, we're going to help us to discover how to walk in new levels of freedom from the pain of our past. We're gonna understand how to walk in new levels of freedom over legalism and condemnation. We're gonna understand how to walk in new levels of freedom over strongholds of sin, things that you've been struggling, things that you don't wanna do but you continue to do, things that you continue to have to confess and repent before God. Maybe it is something that has to do with the flesh, but maybe there's also a spiritual battle that you're gonna become equipped in a little bit greater way to begin to take a stand and to begin to win that battle to experience new levels of freedom. Sin, fear, anger, lust, inner vows, things that maybe because of something that happened in your life, a trauma, a hurt, a pain, you made an inner vow and you said, I'll never let someone hurt me that way again. And in that place, you've made yourself Lord over that situation. And it's keeping you from experiencing some things that God really wants to connect you to in life. Word curses, things that have been spoken over you, maybe by even people that were close to you. Mental strongholds, mindsets that need to shift for you to really be able to begin to experience and walk in the abundant life that Jesus desires for you and for me. Generational iniquities. In other words, patterns of behavior that might have been modeled or presented to you as normal by well-intending parents or grandparents. Things that, that, you, that you saw lived out before you that now you never would have thought that you would have had that leaning or that, that bent to think that way, but because you saw it modeled for 20, 30 years of your life, you're beginning to realize, well, there's something that's gotten into the way I think or believe about this or that or about that group of people. We're gonna deal with all those things and more because the Lord's heart for you is to walk in freedom. The Lord's heart for me is to walk in freedom. John chapter eight says it so clearly. In fact, it's where we glean the title for this series. And it says this in verse 31, it says, Jesus is speaking and it says, to the Jews who had believed him, in other words, he's talking to believers. To the Jews who had believed him, he's talking about people who had, who had listened and heard the message that Jesus was the Messiah and were believing in Jesus. It's, it's important to understand that. And it says, Jesus said to that group of people, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And listen what they responded to him in verse 33. That sounds like a pretty good promise, but watch how there's a spirit that's operating in their life that already starts to kind of reject and resist what Jesus is trying to do, lead them to a new level of freedom as they walk out the word of God. And it says that they answered him, but we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves of anyone. 
How can you say that we shall be set free? Listen, they said, we're Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves to anyone. Had they read the Old Testament that we've read? Every couple hundred years, they were in bondage to someone, whether it was the Egyptians or the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. They said, we're Abraham's descendants. We don't have a need to be free. This is a religious statement from religious people who, who refuse to recognize their need for forgiveness and freedom through Jesus Christ. And reading on in verse 34, Jesus replied and said, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it, the family, forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Someone say free indeed. Free. free indeed. Listen, to walk in new levels of spiritual freedom, number one, we have to realize that we all have a need for spiritual freedom. We all have a need for freedom. They said, we've never been slaves of anyone. Really? Can you imagine the audacity of saying that to Jesus, knowing all the, the countless times they had been in captivity in the natural? But there's a spiritual truth here, and that's that we all have a tendency to kind of pass the buck when it comes to our own need for freedom or forgiveness. The Bible says so clearly all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we say that we have no sin, we're really just fooling ourselves. Listen, there's actually good news tied up in this. If you've got a struggle, if you've got a sin, if you've got a stronghold, if you've got an iniquity, if you've got a mindset, you are not alone. And you're the reason that Jesus came. He said, I didn't come for people who are well. I came for people who need a physician. And these people thought they were well. The number one thing, if you're going to get free through this series and everything that we introduce and lead you to, you're gonna have to be willing to overcome this spirit and say, I realize, I recognize that I've maybe grown in some areas, but there are still some places in my life where I need to experience and walk in a new level of freedom in that place in my life. And listen, I'm just telling you, be encouraged. I'm your preacher, I'm your pastor, I'm a preacher. And, and, and I still have some areas in my life where I am asking the Lord, I am chasing after the Lord, I am digging into the word of God so that I can walk as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a friend in new levels of freedom and victory. I want everything that Jesus made possible for me. The number one step is realize you have a need for freedom. Listen, when you get real with God, your struggles, your doubts, your challenges, those strongholds, those things that you're wrestling with, struggling with, that you can't do in your own strength and you know because you've tried. When we get real with God about those things, it's not when God finds out about them. He's known all along. When you get real with God with those struggles, those doubts, those fears, that anger, that lust, whatever it is for you, it's not when God finds out about it, it's when you begin to apprehend the grace to be set free from it. And in this series, will you just in advance, just preemptively just say, Lord, I'm gonna be real with you. I understand that there's a spirit that's operating there that when you came and you said, keep my word and live this out and I'll make you free, that there's a spirit that kind of pushes back and says, do I really need that or am I good where I am with God? Be willing to say, Lord, I recognize that there's some areas in my life that I need some new levels of freedom that I might only be able to get if I'm willing to to dig into your word and begin to live out. Lord, I've been fighting that battle in my own strength. I've been fighting that battle according to the things of the world, the patterns of the world. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig into your heart, your word, your will, your way in this series as the word of God is presented and I'm gonna discover the weapons that you've given me so that I can begin to fight the battle differently than maybe I've been fighting it before so that I can experience some new levels of victory that maybe I've never experienced before. We all have to realize we all have a need for freedom. You know, Jesus numerous times throughout the New Testament would ask an audacious question. 
He would come across someone who was blind or lame or even a leper, and he would say, do you want to be well? And doesn't that seem like a crazy question? Shouldn't the answer be obvious? But maybe Jesus doesn't waste his words. Nothing's wasted on him. It's intentional because he realizes that sometimes we can become comfortable with something that's killing us. And he says, do you want to be well? Do you really want to be set free from that thing? I was reminded of a time where a couple years ago I was out at the baseball field. It was an all-day tournament. And the day had started out warm and it had quickly turned cold. And what you, some of you might not even realize is that a few years ago we moved here from Texas and are just, just so humbled and blessed by the opportunity, the privilege really to come and partner with this church and pastor this church. And we moved from Texas. We kind of lived all over. I was born and raised in Amarillo on the Texas Panhandle where we actually did have some cold weather, some ice and some snow. And then I'd moved to West Central Texas, which was... In Texas, gosh, it had to be four or 500 miles south of where I was living in the Texas Panhandle. And there was still a little bit of cold weather there, but nothing like in the Texas Panhandle. But where we moved here directly from was deep south Texas, Brownsville, Texas, the Rio Grande Valley, as far south as you can go in Texas. In fact, maybe as far south as you can go in the continental United States, maybe save Key West, Florida or somewhere like that. And anyway, uh, and, and, and anyway in other words, it was really warm there. We didn't experience cold weather. In fact, the people down there, we, would, we were begging for just some sort of a cold front to make it that far south so that we could pull out our boots and our sweaters or a jacket or something. I mean, it was just nonstop warm weather down there. Just this year, for the first time in like 100 years, did they finally experience some freezing weather. But when it was negative 20 here, it got down to like 29 there. So we, when we moved here, we had to make an adjustment. And, and, and so, it, so fast forward now, I'm just setting the backdrop for the scene. I'm at my son, Aaron. He's 14 now. He was probably about 11 or 12 then. You see him around the church. He's six foot two on his way to being nine foot eight, you know. And, and, and so I was out watching him play, play baseball. Come on, who's ever been there? The all-day tournament, you know, started on Friday night. It's going to go all day Saturday. And if they keep winning, they might even play on Sunday. And, and so it started out warm that day, that morning in the 70s. I was wearing shorts and flip-flops and a, and a T-shirt that had the name of the baseball team across the front of it. I'm sitting in my camping chair. I'm watching the games. And a storm blows through. Everyone has to take shelter. And then the game resumes later on. And in the wake of that storm, a cold front had blown through. The wind that was warm and out of the south and the west and 78 degrees was now out of the north, a brisk north wind, and it had dropped down quickly to 42 degrees. And I looked up and I said, we are not in Texas anymore, Toto. <laughs> and I was freezing. I was frigid. It was misting. It was that damp, cold mist. And, and I'm sitting there in my camping chair, and I am freezing my Kansas keister off. And so I did what any good Christian man would do. I got on text and started whining and complaining to my wife. It's freezing out here. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I didn't bring pants or a jacket or a blanket. I am freezing. It's miserable out here. It's miserable. I don't know what I wanted her to do for me because she was an hour away over here in Lawrence. I think we were playing in Gardner. But it felt good to just kind of gripe and moan and complain to someone, you know, that would listen. So a, a few minutes later after I had texted her, it's miserable. I'm freezing out here. Oh, my goodness. One of the other baseball moms came up to me and said, hey, Thomas, would you like one of our blankets? And I said, no, I'm good. No, no, I'm good. <laughs> because I was texting and whining and complaining to my wife. I'm freezing. I'm miserable. But on the outside, what everyone else saw is my legs crossed, sitting in my camping chair, spitting sunflower seeds. Joe Cool, Dad. A couple minutes later... And another one of the baseball moms comes over and says, we have some extra jackets and an extra blanket. Would you like the blanket? 
And I said, no, I'm good. Why would you think that? And she said, because your wife texted the baseball mom thread and told us that you were over here freezing your keister off. So now I'm in all caps text mode. <laughs> and I'm texting her back saying, what in the world did you do? You texted the baseball moms and told them that I'm over here freezing my keister off and they're all coming over offering me their little kids blankets because you're telling them that I'm over here struggling? And she said, yeah, you said you were freezing. They wanted to help, I wanted to help. I didn't want the help. I just wanted you to feel bad for me. <laughs> and here's the thing, it's humorous, but there's a spiritual parallel. It's the way that we oftentimes treat God. Lord, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I'm battling. I need help, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with loneliness. And God says, well, get in a local church. No, I'm good, God. No, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. God, I'm dealing with this anger. Well, well, there's a pastor, there's a team of pastors who would love to sit with you and counsel you. If you're just be willing to get real with God and tell them your story, allow them to pray over you and lead you to a new level of freedom and forgiveness in that area. No, I'm good, God, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Lord, in my marriage, we're struggling. Strife and, and anger and hostility and a void of intimacy, we're struggling. Well, well, there's an EXO conference coming up in your local church on Friday night and Saturday morning. No, I'm good. We got some other things that we got to do, honeydews around the house. Jesus said, do you want to be well? Do you want to be free? If we're going to walk in new levels of spiritual freedom, we have to overcome the spirit that these men were walking in. We have to be willing to say, we want everything you've got, Jesus. We'll be real. We'll get real. We'll get open. We'll get honest. If you, if you died, if you gave your life to purchase it for me, I want all of it. We have to realize we all have a need for freedom. Listen, did you know that you have an enemy? Now turn to Genesis chapter 3. Did you know that you have an enemy who is cunning and crafty? And that's, that's biblical language that you're about to see in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 3, that he goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may destroy, may devour. I love that it says may in the King James and New King James Version because it doesn't apply ability. It implies that he's seeking for opportunity. In other words, open doors that we open up to the enemy. That if we'll walk in everything that Ephesians 6 was just telling us about the armor of God, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the word of God, which is, which is the sword of the spirit. If we'll walk in all those things, we can win the battle. We can keep the roaring lion at bay. But when we lay those things down, when we fail to walk in them, we open up a door. It says that he goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Here's the thing. He's cunning and crafty. And it says, Genesis 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? And the woman said to the serpent, verse 2, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from that tree, the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent, remember, he's cunning, he's crafty, he doesn't fight fair. He says, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open, you will become like God. You'll know good and evil. 
when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and by the way, a lot of people maybe think that that's the reason that they stumbled and they fell and they ate the fruit of that tree because it was more magnificent, more beautiful, pleasing to the eye. The fruit was maybe more enjoyable. But if you turn the page back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9, it says that the Lord God made all the trees of the garden pleasing to the eye and good for the eating. He had given them a whole garden full of beautiful trees filled with ripe fruit. And the enemy was coming and saying, but did God tell you that you couldn't have this one? And reading on, it says, and it was also desirable for gaining wisdom. It was, it was, it was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. Reading on verse 6, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And it says, then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And many theologians believe that that was a routine part of unbroken fellowship between Adam and Eve and the Lord their God, that they had such good fellowship that they would routinely walk together in the cool of the day, walk through the garden that God had, had presented and created for them to enjoy. And it says, in this day, though, something was different. And it says, they hid from the Lord God amongst the very trees of the garden that he had created for them that were pleasing and beautiful and ripe with fruit. He said, but the Lord God called out to the man, and listen, I'm so grateful that God is still calling out to men and women who have lost their way, and he's saying, Adam, where are you? Where is the man who I created to walk in fellowship with me, unbroken and unbridled by sin and condemnation? Where is the man that I created to walk in authority and power and victory, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, access to the Word of God? Where is that man? Listen, if you've lost your way, he's calling out to you. Where are you? He's calling you back to a place of victory and freedom. There's a crafty, he says the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. God had given a whole garden filled with beautiful trees, white, ripe with fruit, and the enemy came in and realized the one thing that he could say, he could introduce into their life to get them to fall. And he'll do the same in your life. You might say, well, I'm not really given to lust. Well, then the enemy comes and he realizes you have a weakness in the area of pride. Well, I'm not given to lust or to pride. And the enemy realizes that there's a thing that he can present into your life that causes you to trip in the area of anger. Well, I'm not given to lust or anger or pride, I, and the enemy comes and causes you to fall into the pitfall of having a critical spirit or a judgmental spirit. The enemy is cunning and crafty. He'll find your weakness, and he doesn't fight fair. In the day where you're weak, wounded, weary, tired, in the area where you have a weakness because of a hurt, a pain, or a traumatic situation, that's the very place that the enemy of your soul will come and put his finger right in that moment. And right in that place. And it's the reason that we're bringing this series into our lives as believers so that we can become equipped to recognize the Apostle Paul. This is not a devil-glorifying message. This is not a devil-glorifying series. But the Apostle Paul said, we do not want you to be unaware of the devil's schemes, which implied that he had taken time to help the early disciples, the new converts that are calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus, to realize they had an enemy and that he has methods and schemes that he was going to employ against them to try to separate and hinder them from the abundant life that he had introduced to them in Christ. Every one of us, if we're gonna walk in new levels of spiritual freedom, on the other side of this series, I mean really standing firm in a new place of spiritual freedom. Maybe right now there's a struggle, there's a battle, there's a war. Maybe you lose some battles, you win a battle, but you're constantly being pushed back and forth. At the end of this series, if you wanna look up and you wanna stand firm, number one, you're gonna to have to realize we all have a need for freedom.
Number two, you're going to have to embrace the authority of the word of God. And in John 8, which we just read, which he closes by saying, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. In verse 31 and 32, he says, if you hold to my teaching, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Listen, there is a great turning away from God's word in our culture. In some churches, there's even a turning away from the infallibility of God's word. And not just a turning away from God's word, but there's an active opposition in the culture of our world today that is opposing God's word, saying God's word is outdated. God's word is not relevant. God's word is not applicable to my life. We are smarter. We have figured it out. We can do it in our own way or our own strength. And if you're going to walk in new levels of spiritual freedom, you are going to have to, one, understand we all have a need for spiritual freedom. Two, embrace the authority of God's word. Jesus himself said it. If you'll hold on to my teaching, it's the truth that will set you free. The truth will set you free. You got to realize and recognize that everything in God's word is for your good. Everything in God's word is for your good. He came to give abundant life. He came to show you the year of the Lord's favor. He came to bring sight back to the places you were blind. Everything in God's word is for your good. Everything he cautions you against doing, everything he prohibits, everything he instructs you to, everything he encourages to, everything he commands you to, and everything in between, it's all for your good. It's all for your good. Listen, God's word establishes boundaries for life that allow us to walk in freedom in life. And if you've ever had kids, little kids, little tykes that enjoyed playing out in the backyard or the front yard, you understand what it means to enjoy your, the sound and the sight of your kids running and playing and frolicking and jumping and having fun and, and shouting and being silly and having all kinds of fun. But you also understand the sense of panic, the sense of concern that happens when you look up in the, the gate to the backyard where they're safely playing in, in the area where you've constructed boundaries is open and then you hear them and you realize they're not in the backyard, they're running towards the front yard where there's a busy street with cars and teenagers zipping and zooming 45 miles an hour up and down that street. That little three-year-old is oblivious to the idea that those cars might not see him when he runs out from behind the bush and runs into the street to get the ball that he's just thinking he's innocently playing with. If you've ever had kids, you understand the heart of God. The word of God establishes boundaries for life so that we can enjoy freedom in life. He's saying, I want you to have all kinds of fun. I want you to experience all kinds of joy in your relationship, in your marriage, in your sexuality. I created these things for your good. I created these things for your pleasure. I created these things for your delight. I've given you boundaries to create the opportunity to live in freedom. That's what the Word of God, he's not a, Jesus, the Word of God is, is not an outdated rule book. It's not a manual for, for, um, for boring living. It's the heart of God that says, I created you. This is, your, this is the manual for living. This is, this, is, this is how I created you and this is how I created things. And if you'll appreciate the power of this word and you'll begin to apply it to your life, there might be some boundaries for life in here, but it will allow you to experience freedom in life. We have to understand we all have a need for freedom. We have to understand that God's word is the pathway to walk in freedom. And number three, last point, and then we'll worship and we'll close right here is that we have to get tired of being sick and tired. Sometimes we have to get tired of being sick and tired. Sometimes we have to finally get to that place where we say that battle, that scheme, that struggle, that sin. In Genesis chapter three, if you read on in that same chapter that we just read from in verse 15, watch what it says. 
And God is talking to, to that serpent, that cunning, that crafty one, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is an unusual word that we don't see often, enmity. And watch what he says. He says, he says I'm going to put it there. And then, and then he says, and my people, you and I, he said, you're going to nip at their heels. You're going to strike at their heels, but they are going to crush your head forever in, in, in victory that Jesus is going to give them at the cross of Calvary. But he says, I'm going to put enmity in between you, in between me, in between us, and between this enemy of your soul that is cunning and crafty. And if you look into that word, it's the Hebrew word avah. And it also is translated throughout the Old Testament as hatred or hostility. He says, I'm going to put enmity, which also could be translated as hatred or hostility, between you and between the enemy. So we say, well, really, God is the one that put that there? Why would he put it there? Maybe because he wants us to avoid becoming comfortable with something that's killing us. And he realized that there's some things that the enemy is going to come and introduce into your life. And if you're not careful, if you don't allow this enmity to remain in your life, if you allow something to just become kind of casual or normal in your life, that, well, everyone deals with this sin or everyone deals with that, or that's kind of common in our culture because of everything that's going on politically, the anger that I'm walking in. If you get comfortable with that, you allow that enmity that God had placed there, you can become comfortable with something that is actually killing you. And he said, I want you to be you got, sometimes you're gonna have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. You're gonna have to be willing to take a stand and say, you know what, I am tired of dealing with that. I am tired of that thing knocking me around in life. I am tired of losing those battles. I am tired of seeing that happen. I am tired of constantly having to confess and repent that area of sin. It's a bondage, it's a stronghold in my life and I've got enmity towards that thing. I recognize and realize, for it, I realize and recognize it for what it is, an attack or a scheme of the devil to keep me from everything that God has made possible and available to me in my life as a disciple, in my marriage, in my family. And I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And today I take a stand on the truth of God's word. I pick up the shield of faith. I pick up the word of God and I say, not today, Satan. Your days winning that battle are done. I'm doing it for myself. I'm doing it for my marriage. I'm doing it for my children and their children and their children. I'm taking a stand and saying those things that were passed on to me generationally, those patterns, mindsets or sins, I'm taking the word of God and I'm taking the sword to that thing today. And I'm cutting it off today. I'm cutting it off today. I'm saying it stops with me. It stops with us. It's I'm moving forward in a new level of victory and freedom today because of what Jesus, because of what Jesus has made possible for you and for me. Stand to your feet, stand to your feet. You gotta recognize that we all have need for freedom, for new levels of freedom. We all have a battle, we all have a struggle. There's something, some place, some way, some issue, some challenge, some stronghold, some mindset some area of unforgiveness, something. There's something in all of our lives that we need to apprehend the grace of God to experience a new level of freedom in God. Have to realize that it's the word of God. Hold on to the teachings of Jesus. Be willing to say, Lord, what do you have to say about it? I'm grateful for some other books and things and psychologists or psychiatrists or medicines I can take, but what does your word have to say about it? I'm willing to hold on to that for dear life until the truth of God begins to manifest in my life in a way that connects me to the victory and freedom of Christ. And I'm willing to say no to the devil. 
I'm willing to see that enmity be restored where I look and I see those things that are constantly bringing division or desperation in my life. Today, I'm taking a stand and saying no more, no more, no more, no more. As for me and my house, from this day forward, we will serve the Lord. In that situation, whatever it is for you, would you just lift your holy hands before God? It's a posture I ask us and invite us to get into often because it's the international sign of surrender. And from that very posture of surrendering something to God, it's also a posture of receiving. And I believe when we do it in faith, it's exactly what we're doing. We're presenting something to God that he wants to take from you, deliver you from. And in that same place, we are looking to become filled in a fresher, new way. So that that place, that struggle, that lie, that mindset, can begin to be worked out in a way that begins to align us with what God's heart, what's God's word, what, what's God's will in the matter. And Lord, I thank you. I pray over this congregation as we begin to dive into this series on free indeed, God. I thank you that whatever it is, Lord, that they're up against, Lord, a mindset, a stronghold, an iniquity, a pattern of sin, an inner vow, whatever it is, Lord, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you that even today you're beginning to show some things. And when the, when the, when the Lord rather reveals something in us, it's never to bring condemnation. He brings conviction, but when he reveals something in our life, it's always because he wants to heal something in our life. It's never to beat us up with it. That's the way that the enemy operates, to keep us stuck or tethered to a past or a sin or a failure. The Lord Jesus is so faithful, he's so gracious, he's so good. Whenever he reveals something, it's because he wants to heal you from it, he wants to restore you in it, he wants to lead you out of it, he wants to connect you to his way, which is a good way. So Lord, we thank you, whatever it is for us, Lord, we thank you that even today, Lord, you're beginning to give us victory and strength, Lord. I thank you that even before we dig into some of the ways that we can walk this out and we grow as disciples and our ability to, 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 to stand firm and appropriate the victory, I thank you. I wanna encourage you. In that moment, even today, you can begin to experience a new level of freedom if you'll just begin to use the name of Jesus. Whenever that scheme of lust or that scheme of anger or that scheme of pain begins to come against your life, whatever it looks like for you, whenever it happens to you, you can begin to just say, I am bought and purchased with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. And I declare the authority and the victory and the power of that name, Jesus Christ, over this situation, over this moment, over my hands, over my heart, over my home, right now in Jesus' name. And I'm just telling you, you can begin right now, even before we dig into these things in a deeper way, to begin to wield the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. I pray that grace upon this church family. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you've called us to be more than just casual church attenders. You've called us to be disciples, victorious disciples, walking in the fullness of the power of Jesus Christ, free and, 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 and living in victory over every scheme of the enemy in every area of our life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, if you'll receive that today and you'll receive what God wants to do in your life through the rest of the series, just say amen. Just say amen and thank the Lord and thank the Lord. And lastly, lastly, before we worship, the most important thing we ever do, give people an opportunity, those who are far from God, to say yes to Jesus, to come home to a heavenly Father who loved you too much to leave you where you are today, maybe far from God. Maybe you are what the Bible would describe as a prodigal son or daughter. You maybe even grew up in the church, once knew God, loved God, served God, went to church, but you've made some poor choices, bad decisions, or maybe you've just gotten busy, you've drifted from God. 
and you're what the Bible would describe as a prodigal son or daughter. Listen, or maybe you've never put your faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, confessed him as your Lord and Savior, and received what it feels like to have all the weight of your past and your guilt and your sin and your shame removed off of you in a way that you could never do in your own strength. It's why Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again. Listen, if that's you, either one of those camps or anywhere in between, a prodigal son or daughter, you once knew God and served God, or maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus, right now, don't wait. Put your hand high in the air towards heaven. Just say, that's me. I need forgiveness. That's me. I'm saying yes to Jesus. That's me. I've tried it in my own strength. Listen, those of you joining us online, your heart is burning and you're being quickened to say yes to Jesus. You might even be by yourself, but I wanna encourage you, lift your hand high towards heaven. You're not responding to a person or a pastor, you're responding to your father. He sees the, the hand going up as an outward sign of something that's going on inwardly in your heart. A repenting, a, a desire to change, a desire to turn from your own ways and a desire to receive and walk in faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, for everyone who's lifting their hands, responding to Jesus in this room and online, Let's pray this prayer with them. We do it for a couple of reasons. And if you raise your hand, you can put it down. We're gonna pray this prayer with you, with you, with you as a family. We do it for a couple of reasons. As one is we wanna quickly show everyone who's responding in this room and online, there's a church family of brothers and sisters who wanna come alongside them and quickly, immediately begin to encourage them in their fresh or new faith in Jesus Christ. Walk alongside them disciple them, minister to them, help them become free of some things that maybe have been holding them back or hindering them, help them to begin to discover what it looks like to live in victory. And two, we pray this prayer together with everyone who's responding every week because it reminds us, even as we're growing in our faith, even as we're maturing in our faith, we never graduate from grace. Even as we're growing in our faith, we realize that that faith is built upon the grace of Jesus Christ, upon the price he paid that we can never earn or deserve. So come on, let's pray this together with everything you have. Come on, repeat after me. Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a Savior. I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could not pay to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you that life. I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, because of the cross of Jesus, because of the risen life of Jesus, come on, say it, I'll never be the same. I'll never be the same, and now rejoice with all of heaven for the precious people. Come on, let's, let's worship the Lord. Let's worship Him one more time together today.